You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome back MG Nation to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. You can always hear us live on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show or on our YouTube channel, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Just make sure you go ahead and click subscribe. We'll be available to you after the show on your favorite streaming app, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever the case may be. We're available pretty much everywhere to you guys. So, it's Thursday. We're going to be doing a standard mock draft. Chris will be joining us hopefully soon. Uh, Remember, throughout the show, though, you can go ahead and comment. and We will get to your guys' questions as we go along. We always love the interaction. Of course, we've got a mailbag segment for you at the end of the show. Some news that we have to talk about. And one of the big things that was circulating as late as last night, and we put it up on the Twitter feed, there was a lot of rumors about Deshaun Watson, about him possibly being traded, like a trade was imminent for him to go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, this morning, things have backed off from that. It sounds more and more like, you know, it was mostly just rumor, speculation, maybe some inside information leaked, but nothing's actually imminent. That's what we understand it to be as of Right now, I mean, this thing goes back a couple of weeks ago when Adam Schefter didn't report, but in his own speculatory way said, you know, the Eagles are probably in the best position out of all the NFL teams who need a quarterback to acquire Deshaun Watson. That's what he was talking about then. And now it's boiled over to now. Look, ultimately, I've been firm on this. I just don't see a GM wanting to roll the dice, wanting to take the chance on a guy like Deshaun Watson who's in the predicament that he is in off the field because there's a lot of things that can still happen. Yes, to this point, he has not been criminally charged with anything. But when you have over 20 women accusing you of sexual harassment, when you have 10 complaints with the Houston Police Department, anything in this type of case can happen at any given time. Just because he hasn't been charged yet doesn't mean he can't be charged somewhere in the future, somewhere between now and I believe... February, when this court is set to, you know, take take the next step, basically, in the process coming in February. There's a lot of things that can happen. However, the positives right now going for Deshaun Watson, he's still not on the commissioner exempt list. And he may not be until February. He may not be until 2022. So you have to ask yourself as a team, you know, do you want to bring this guy in when it looks like he may have the opportunity to play this season? and then deal with whatever comes down the pipe. The problem is that the Texans last reported are asking way too much. No one's going to give them three first-round picks for a guy in their situation right now. It's just not going to happen. There's no way because, one, a GM's already sticking their neck out if you're making a move for Deshaun Watson, no matter what the cost is, because if he does 
wind up getting charged or if he does wind up getting suspended for a year because we have no idea what the NFL is going to do in this circumstance. I can't remember a player, an active player, being accused by this many women publicly. So there is no handbook. There's no guidelines for us to really go off of as far as what we can expect the NFL, Roger Goodell, to do in this instance. There's nothing, nothing to go off of. It, we had the six-game suspension guidelines when it came to domestic abuse. We have you know, guidelines for weed abuse and drug abuse and performance hands. We don't have guidelines for this level of sexual harassment abuse. We just don't. So it could be for a year. And you're going to look really silly as a GM and likely could even cost you your job if you pay too much for Deshaun Watson. So to me, there's too many things that are too murky in the water for a team to really give up, especially that price tag. Now, if Houston came down and said, you know what, we'll just do it. We just want to get rid of them. We just want to get two first round picks. I could see maybe something happening there. But we're in the training camp. And it makes it 10 times harder for teams to make trades now that we're in the training camp. Because a lot of times your salary cap's locked. You don't have a lot of move. Uh, you've already used up some of your assets for this season. You're looking forward to next year. You want to see what you actually have on the field now to kind of determine where your field, where your team needs to go in the future. There's a lot of things that kind of work against the Houston Texans. Yes, the Philadelphia Eagles certainly makes sense. Yes, Deshaun Watson is still a franchise quarterback who's only 26 years old. But as it stands right now, I'd still be hard-pressed to believe he actually has traded this training camp. But we did have that news circulating yesterday. Let's talk about it from the fantasy football perspective. Let's say this trade does get done at some point in the future. Maybe, possibly, what we could see is Deshaun Watson. He'll definitely return to top 10 running back status. I'm more interested in what this does for the pass catchers of the Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders, I think you can be a little more confident that he can be an RB2. Because you know with Watson, the offense will be much better. He'll be in a more prime position behind a decent offensive line to actually be able to make some headways. Remember David Johnson last year, even as old as he was and as washed up as he seemed to be coming from Arizona, still managed to be a solid RB2 the rest of the way. Uh, the big thing is Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith would move up a few spots in my rankings. Right now, I have him as a wide receiver five. The big reason for that being Jalen Hurts is just not a very good passer. He's just not. He's a 50% completion passer right now. And really, he's never been an efficient passer going back to his collegiate career. Unless he makes some kind of miraculous Josh Allen type of jump, I don't see how he could possibly become a 60% plus completion percentage thrower, which does affect the wide receivers. The volume could be there. I don't expect the Philadelphia Eagles to be very good, especially defensively. They might have to come back and play a lot of garbage time. The volume might be there, but the volume was there last year in that three-and-a-half-game sprint that Jalen Hurts was in towards the end of the year, and it was just that inefficient, and that's the issue. So when you have Devon, that's why I have Devonta Smith ranked as a wide receiver five with a Jalen Hurts. That moves up if Deshaun Watson's there. All of a sudden, now you're looking at a rookie who should be the lead wide receiver. He could be a wide receiver. You could be drafting him as a wide receiver three with some upside if Deshaun Watson were to take over. Now, I want to mention this in case you guys missed it throughout the week. Devonta Smith is dealing with a knee sprain right now. Not really seemingly in danger for week one or anything of that nature, but is missing precious reps in training camp. I don't think this is going to hinder him from being the number one wide receiver because he's still going to be number one wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles by default. You have Jalen Rager, who didn't start off camp very well, failed his conditioning test, and he still has a lot to prove as far as how quality of a wide receiver he actually is. So the most dependable pass catcher, you go back to Dallas Goddard, who I do have ranked as my tight end six on the year. 
So Dallas Goddard, somebody I still feel pretty good about, even with Zach Ertz there. Because with all the fiasco going on in the offseason, the fact that Zach Ertz looked like he took a tumble, nose dive, swan dive right through, you know, <laughs> rodeo and coyote style right through the Grand Canyon type of dive there in his career and his playing ability. Dallas Goddard is going to be the guy. And what we saw last year out of Hertz with Goddard was the fact that he was getting double digit targets through that span. So even his inefficiencies of getting enough volume to sustain him, Deshaun Watson's there. He's a good quarterback. He's going to get it to his most reliable pass catcher, which would be Dallas Goddard in that instance. So I like it for Devonta Smith. Goddard pretty much stays the same. I might even move up Miles Sanders a little bit. Now, as far as Deshaun Watson, he gets my top 10, but he's not going to be a top six guy for me. Remember, he's had a lot of distractions offseason, and I don't doubt that he hasn't been working out and playing well and all that stuff, but even in training camp before he had the foot injury, that quote-unquote is what's sidelining him at the moment, Houston hasn't been having him taking reps at the quarterback position. They were having him play practice squad defensive back and doing all kinds of things, just pretty much flat out saying, you are not part of our plans at all, period, no matter what. So I'm not going to be overly optimistic about a Deshaun Watson, even if he were to get traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. We can finally welcome in Chris Dowhauer, who's able to join the show. He's getting settled here. And uh, Chris, we were just I was just wrapping up the conversation here about the Deshaun Watson trade rumors that came out last night. Uh, what would your synopsis be if Deshaun were to actually get traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, even though that, that has seemingly cooled now, we covered that. But what would that be for him and the rest of the Eagle players? I mean, I think it would be a definite upgrade for most of the Eagle receivers, particularly. Um, we saw, you know, Deshaun Watson have one of his career years last year. You have a very good quarterback. You have they had some young weapons in place, but you have some guys have some speed. You got Dallas Goddard, who I think would definitely have probably be the most beneficiary of Deshaun Watson trade, where last year he wasn't quite utilized how you kind of would like him to be. Jalen Hurts is very inconsistent. So I think that Deshaun Watson's of the Eagles would be a major upgrade for them offensively. It certainly would. So there's other news that we want to get to. Uh, that, you know, the Carson, we haven't covered the Carson Wentz, you know, news that came out since last week when we were here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, at Belly Up MDFF, showing your social media accounts, always 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m. We'll be back tomorrow, too, just so you guys know. Uh, yeah, but Carson Wentz, he has a surgery. Everything went well. We still have to deal with this wide timeline of a 5 to 12 weeks. Now, Let's say he gets the five weeks. Let's say he gets super lucky and he gets on the five weeks. He would actually be in line to play week one. I don't have him reaching the pup list because it's such a wide time, a timeline that I think they're going to have a mindset that he's able to get in within the first six weeks of the season. So I don't think he's going to go on the pup list. I do have him projected to miss three games, though. I think uh, an a eight-week missing, which would put him about week four coming back, I think is more reasonable to expect if the surgery went as well as they're saying it did i do think they probably avoided the 12 week timeline end of that so i just have him taking a little bit dip down as a result of that all the colts pass catchers to me take a little bit of a dip down but if it's just going to be three weeks let's say i'm not going to go too crazy where i still think they can be stashes and maybe you take advantage of the fact that you know i, I like ty hilton as a wide receiver four who i think still has something left i think michael pittman has some upside. If you're talking about getting them in the back, back end of your drafts now, which I think you are, and not that they were going high to begin with, I think you can get some value there because Carson Wentz should be back at some point this season. And I think maybe around the eight-week timeline. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I don't disagree with that you know, idea, but I probably would take a different approach in the sense that I would be looking to try to add those guys as waivers 
maybe try to play somebody that, you know, look for a defensive matchup or a quarterback matchup, something maybe you can even think about streaming for the first couple of weeks and then being out of a roster spot, you kind of create to add one of those guys. Um, because I do think that more than likely, you know, I don't think both of them will be drafted. I think one of them might maybe get drafted in the late first, later than round, end of rounds. Um, but I do think that the best scenario for me would be to kind of have those guys on my watch list and kind of play maybe somebody to for the first two or three weeks that I can kind of utilize knowing that I'm going to drop that and create a roster spot to add one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind that either. There is a chance, you know, come whenever your home league drafts are that people might not be drafting them. Here's my thing though. I think we're going to have some clarification. The idea was that he was going to have to rest for two weeks after the surgery. And then they were going to be able to start the rehab process. Puts it about the end of August. I think we're going to have more information at the end of August on a more exact timeline for a Carson Wentz. Again, you're listening to MD's Fantasy Football Show. Comment throughout the show, wherever you are right now. We'll try to get to your questions as we go through. We still got the standard mock draft to get through. The other thing going on with the Colts, Quentin Nelson. And this goes back to what I'm going to lead up with the Carson Wentz injury. Put a poll out there before I actually found out about the Quentin Nelson news about the Carson Wentz injury. Does that help or hurt Jonathan Taylor? The idea is the two sides of the argument is on one hand, Wentz goes down or misses time, the Colts' offense won't be as good, so won't be as many scoring opportunities. On the other hand, if Wentz isn't in there and you're dealing with Jacob Easton as a starting quarterback, there's a good chance the entire offense is going to be built around Jonathan Taylor. So we care more about volume or points. MD Nation votes 70% in favor of hurting. I agree with that. Now, I'm, I'm not the biggest Jonathan Taylor guy to begin with. I have him as my RB 16 and half point PPR leagues because I think people are overlooking just how much Naeem Hines gets involved. And if Marlon Mack is healthy, I think he might surprise some people and in how involved he is, maybe a six to eight carry type of deal, just kind of chipping away at the ceiling of a Jonathan Taylor. Then we get the Quentin Nelson injury news. So we have to assume he's on a, I guess, similar timeline to Carson Wentz because I kept saying it was a similar injury and a similar surgery. That's huge because you take out Quentin Nelson and this really good offensive line becomes very average at best. So, Chris, what are you looking at here? Yeah, man, not only have they lost Quentin Nelson, you have Eric Fisher stunt, though not quite cover for right. his surgery, and then you also have Ryan Kelly at the center who could possibly miss in some games. So, to me, Quentin Nelson is the guy that I'm going to keep my eye on to kind of gauge whether or not when Carson Wentz is truly coming back because they had a similar timeline, um, and I do think that when Quentin Nelson returns, there's a better chance than not that it's when Carson Wentz will return as well. I think that the Colts will be in no hurry to kind of get him behind a shambles line. I think they're going to try to be precautionary as much as they can because they know that they have a lot less than Carson Wentz, but they also can benefit if they you know, were able to kind of steal a game here or there. They would be able to you know, maybe not have him hit that threshold because the Eagles their first rounder, and they can kind of get Carson Wentz on even a bigger discount than they had. Uh, we have Rick commenting in on the show. He was actually with us on Tuesday night on the Belly Fantasy Football live stream. We did the belly up charity bowl commenting it and saying Naeem Hines is the one guy that he would maybe take a gamble on as far as, you know, guys that you can get later. Yeah. Naeem Hines is a guy. He's not going to go away as far as his pass catching ability goes. He's going to be the safety net. Even when Carson Wentz is in there, you're talking about half point, full point PPR leagues. Hines still has some value when it, when it comes to that. I'm with you, Chris. I think Jonathan Taylor, he, you have to start. If you're drafting anytime soon, anyway, you have to start taking that into consideration that, his yards per carry might go down. We still have the majority of the season last year for Jonathan Taylor. Wasn't great as far as efficiency goes. First half, is, first, I think first 10 weeks actually of the season, a little, bit, a little bit more than half, he was really struggling to find the holes, use his vision, actually put his skill set out there that we thought and all. I mean, I do think he has coming out of Wisconsin. 
We saw him kind of take the David Montgomery route where he beat up on people towards the end. But there is some question here against good teams. Are you still the guy that you could beat? Now, I like his town a lot, but again, just he's I don't think he's ready to be this elite RB1 that people are ready to make him out to be. And I think you just you might be overdrafting him if you take him in the first round. There's a lot of other guys who I'd much rather have, who I think have similar floors, much higher upside. You're talking about in those elite rounds, frankly, when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. Other news, Kenny Galladay, hamstring pull. Now, the idea is that he avoided the worst, according to Joe Judge. It is not a hamstring strain of any grade. They said it's a pull, meaning he's just going to miss you know, a week maybe of practice time. It's not supposed to be a long-term thing, not supposed to put him in detriment of missing week one. However, this is one of the things that I brought up in our debate last week about why I worry about Kenny Galladay is his health. Go ahead. No, I mean, it definitely has to be a concern. A lot of these guys, you know, you're kind of worried about, especially soft tissue injuries when you play the receiver position. You never know how long it's going to linger. You never know if it's going to flare back up at some point. So, yes, it definitely is concerning. Uh, I think Kenny Galladay was kind of a steal where he was going before. Now I can understand people kind of pushing him down their boards. Um, but I also think that when he becomes, you know, if he is out there and he is healthy, I still think he's very productive. I just understand the trepidation of being this guy having a soft tissue and do this early in camp. Some good, we'll, we'll end the news segment on some good news. Matthew Stafford hurt his thumb or banged up his thumb, was able to come back and practice the next day and practice in full. A lot of people worried about that because it was the same thumb that he had surgery on. We're worried about a re-aggravation. It looks like he's okay. So everybody can kind of breathe easy when it comes to Matthew, especially Rams fans out there. You already lose Cam Akers. <laughs> what happens if you go have Matthew Stafford go down with all the hype surrounding him? So Stafford seems to be okay. Uh, so we don't have to worry about anything too much there. Chris, is there any other news or note things that you want to touch upon while I get our draft set up for the standard mock draft coming to you guys here? No, I just think overall I was talking off air to you the other day about how excited I am to have camp back, but I'm also kind of concerned now because of the injuries that seem to kind of pile up we're unfolding and before our eyes. You know, every time you think you have a good idea what you want to do going into this year, um, you know, you have some kind of twist or turn here with an injury or a guy, you're not really sure how long he's going to be out. We know never to trust the reporters or insiders when it comes to injuries in the preseason or we start at the preseason, but, you know, training camp air times, um, we, we get really concerned when we saw it last year, people were Joe Mixon fans. When you get a, an idea that the guy is an injury is considered slight. The next thing you know, he's missing out eight, nine weeks now for the season. Next thing you know. So, I mean, yeah, the one thing that I'm really excited football is back, but I'm also very concerned because now I have to worry about injuries as well. <laughs> that's what comes hand in hand with training camp. And that's why, that's why you draft as late as you possibly can. Everyone gets so excited. This is draft season. This is August. Everybody wants to draft, you know, right away. No, don't do it yourself. I almost had a heart attack last night because the Alex Lemonade-Stan Charity Best Ball League that we're in, and you can still sign up for if you go to bellyupfantasysports.com. I drafted Jalen Hurts as one of my top quarterbacks in that super flex league. I almost had a heart attack because, you know, we had the news circling on Deshaun Watson was able to tie a, a breath of relief when I heard this morning that that may not be the fact that it's actually imminent. So, yeah, I'm very happy about that. But, again, that just goes to show you there's a lot of things that can still happen between now and the opening kickoff day. It, whatever leagues you're in, try to draft as late as humanly possible to make sure you're set up. All right, Chris, are you ready to dive into this standard mock draft that we're doing for you guys here on Thursday afternoon. 
We're going to do this next couple of weeks. Next Thursday, we'll do half-point PPR, a mock draft, and then the next week, we'll do a full-point PPR mock draft so we can cover all the scoring formats and give you our strategies from different takes. Standard something, you know, this is what started off the fantasy football industry was the standard. Everyone's kind of, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people have moved the half-point PPR, full-point PPR formats, but there are people, Chris, like you and I, we are in a few home leagues where we still play by the standard scoring. I know you have some things you want to say about standard scoring because you're very uh, a pro component for it. So, so go ahead, take us through that before we start this draft. Yeah, I know it's not you know the, the Vogue thing right now because everybody wants to have you know PPR leagues or super flexes and all kinds of other things. So you want to have points after points after points. And I understand that it's exciting to have a high number of points. But to me, football is played on the field. And something I kind of liked about fantasy football was you kind of emulated what was going on in the field and how you kind of you could see what was going to you know manifest and then be able to take that and project fantasy-wise how it can be successful for you. One of the big things we do on this show is we like to kind of tie together you know, what the news is fantasy-wise, but also what we see with our eyes when we watch game, you know, game film. Because th- sometimes you know, those, things that, those narratives don't go together. You'll hear a guy having you know, a certain amount of air yards, and you'll notice that, yeah, because the guy, was, you know, the guy overthrew him or underthrew him just because there was a Hail Mary pass at the end of the, you know, end of the game. How really valuable was the, that information in the sense? So for me, standard is great because it's the one place where touchdowns still mean something. It's not about the guy who catches six catches for 45 yards. I hate that. I hate looking for guys that basically, to me, are guys borderline um, productive NFL players in a lot of ways. I'm not a big fan of the five foot eight guy who gets you know 100 catches and that's he's you know successful for PPR purposes because that's all he ever does is you know become a, a glorified running back in a sense with a seven yard, eight yard yard per carry or yards per catch I should say so for me it's bringing back big play it's having the touchdowns be important I like points are hard to come by because that's how the NFL is kind of you know really played on the field and I like to have it that you're not worried about you know if a guy has four catches for 100 yards that should be considered something that's hard to get or hard to do a guy has six catches for 36 yards shouldn't outscore him breaking news this just in the expectation for Kenny Galladay is that he will miss two to three weeks due to his hamstring pull. He should be back by week one, but he is going to miss the majority of training camp. That just coming across our desk right now. And there you have it. Chris, one of the last few proponents out there that you're going to hear for standard mock drafts. All right, Chris, let's get this thing kicked off. Stop I have participation trophies. <laughs> I have the fifth pick. You have the 10th pick. This is going to be a 12 man standard league. One quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, one tight end, one flex defense kicker, and seven bench spots. So you're very much standard mock draft. So we kick this thing off. Computer up on the board. No surprise. Christian McCaffrey goes off first. And it's just a run on running back. And this is what happens in standard leagues. Running back is the most valuable position you could possibly go after. There's no doubt about that. Dalvin Cook goes number two. Alvin Kamara goes number three. Derrick Henry goes number four. Chris, anything you want to say about that order while I make my pick here at number five? No, I think that it's important that people don't overthink this number one pick. I hear a lot of different discussions whether Christian McCaffrey is going to get the same workload he got before his injury. Don't get it twisted. This guy's paid a lot of money, and he, their offense is going to be built around him. Sam Darnold is a shutdown machine, so you have to go Christian McCaffrey in that first pick. Everything else, I think, is kind of up to your you know, your personal taste. I have personally Alvin Kamara as my second running back off the board, but you can't argue Dalvin Cook. Serge will be def- definitely in the top three. Yeah, I- I'm with you there, and I like Derrick Henry at number four, especially in a standard league where the pass catching is not as much of a premium as well. 
I'm going to go with Ezekiel Elliott here at number five. I am big on Zeke. I'm going to be aggressive on Zeke. He is my number five running back pretty much in every single format. That's not going to change. I believe in the reports that we could keep getting about him being motivated. He is down to the same weight that he was a freshman in college. So you add the explosibility to an Ezekiel Elliott on top of all that. I love him this year with Dak Prescott back. Remember, when Dak Prescott was playing last season, Ezekiel was still very much a top-end RB1, even when he wasn't as motivated, when he wasn't as explosive, it seemed like a season ago. And you have a healthier offensive line. Make no mistake, Tony Pollard is not here to usurp Ezekiel Elliott this season. I love Elliott, and he'll be very much involved in the pass catching as well. After that, Saquon Barkley going number six. Chris, I'll have you talk about Saquon falling a little bit lately just uh, in a second there. Jonathan Taylor goes. Nick Chubb goes. We have our first wide receiver come off the board in the standard mock draft at pick 109, team nine going with Tyreek Hill. And then, Chris, you take Aaron Jones. So first, do me a favor. Talk about Saquon Barkley slipping a little bit and then talk about your pick of Aaron Jones there. Yeah, I think Saquon Barkley is definitely still a first-round talent. And when he's on the field, he's going to be high productive. But you do need to be nervous in the sense that for the last two years, he's been kind of banged up and he missed most all last year. So you really can, you know, cost yourself an opportunity to make the playoffs in fantasy football by making the wrong first round pick. And I think that Saquon Barkley is somebody that you kind of don't want to get overzealous about because, because he's coming back. We see kind of question marks about when he's actually going to return, how healthy is he? And you've seen the Giants add a plethora of running backs over the last few weeks. So there's something up to the fact that they basically making sure their backfield is, you know, solidified as much as possible before they go into the season. Maybe that means Saquon's not necessarily as far along as we had hoped he was. And if he misses a couple games here or there, or this is a lingering issue, this is going to be something that they can cost you. So I, I think Saquon isn't somebody you should be necessarily targeting in the top five and somebody that if you kind of wait for his value to kind of fall to you. Um, but although I still think that if you're in the first round, you probably can't pass on him. Yeah, I don't disagree. And then, you know, you had Aaron Jones there. Talk about Jones. Yeah, I mean, look, as the board kind of unfolded, I was seeing who was kind of falling to me. And Aaron Jones, to me, is definitely within you know, the discussion of being a, a first-rounder. I think this guy's been highly productive over the last two years. He's, you know, one of the best better touchdown scorers the last two years. And now you get rid of a Jamal Williams in the backfield that you're going to have basically the passing game be revolving around Aaron Jones a lot more. Um, and then you, if you're a little bit worried about Corey Dillon still in some of your vulture touchdowns here or there, I think that overall this guy's going to be one of the better all-around running backs where he's going to have a hell of a floor because he's, you know, he's involved in the passing game, involved in the running game. It's very explosive. And then add the fact that you got a, you know, offense Aaron, built around Aaron Rodgers, you're going to be in a position to score touchdowns. After that, after that, after your pick, went Devontae Adams, the second wide receiver there. Then Travis Kelsey comes off. A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, a lot of pass catchers. We get back to you. You go with Joe Mixon. Chris, talk about your Joe Mixon pick. and Why are you excited about Joe Mixon not burning people this year, apparently, with your high second-round pick? Well, similar to Aaron Jones, we see some of his, his obstacles to being involved in the passing game be removed this year. Um, you know, I Bernard has moved on to Tampa Bay. One of the annoying things about being a Mixon owner over the last couple of years was that you basically saw anytime Cincinnati trailed or in the third down, Joe Mixon was being brought off the field. You know, this guy is a highly productive pass catcher. I, mean, I even heard, I even read an article about Maurice Jones-Drew boldly stating that he thinks James uh, Mixon's the best pass catcher out of the backfield, including Christian McCaffrey. So I wouldn't go that far, but I do think Joe Mixon will be heavily involved. We see Todd Gurley be in a similar system, be utilized as a pass catcher in the running, you know, in the running game. 
So I think he has a similar upside, and I'm excited about Joe Mixon. Rick coming back into the show, talking about maybe Henry over Alvin Kamara. Zeke is up there, too. Look, again, when it comes to those, str- those string of guys after Chris McCaffrey at one, it's a preference pick, and I have no problem with Derrick Henry going in the top three when it comes to standard standard leagues, especially as well. Talking about a guy with 2,000 yards rushing, you know he's a tank. You know he's going to get his work, and you know he's going to be at his best when you need him to be, which is you know towards the end, towards the playoffs there. So, yeah, definitely, it's, it's a preference pick there. No problem uh, with Derrick Henry going that high in a standard mock draft. In the other leagues, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit. It does come to factor where he has to give you 100 yards rushing a touchdown in order to keep up with some of these other PPR running backs. But in standard leagues, definitely up there too. Uh, Chris, you talked about Joe Mixon. After that came off Austin Eckler, Antonio Gibson, Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf. And then I went with DeAndre Swift here. I'm big on DeAndre Swift. He is a high-end RB2 for me in any scoring format. And then one of the big things I like about him is that even though I think Jamal Williams will be involved, this offense is going to have to revolve around its running backs. Anthony Lynn always produces a very good running back. And I think DeAndre Swift has the explosibility, not quite of a Dabble Cook level, but he's an explosive playmaker who can be targeted like an Austin Eckler. I, I don't see why he can't at least have a LaShawn McCoy type of year back in Buffalo when Anthony Lynn first took over as offensive coordinator there. I see him getting used in very similar ways to LaShawn McCoy, who finished, I believe, as an RB8 that year in standard leagues. So DeAndre Swift, very big for me with him. And what I like about him is I don't have to depend on him to definitely give me rushing production to keep that floor to ceiling ratio because he's going to be involved in every aspect of the game. Even though Jamal Williams will be involved a little bit in the pass game because we know he pass blocks and coaches love him. DeAndre Swift is still the best pass catcher. I have them on a 60-40 split all the way through. We're talking about teams going to have to feature the running back position the way they are. That's why I love DeAndre Swift here. And, of course, we all know, if you've been listening to the show any length of time, I'm definitely a DeAndre Swift fan over Clyde Edwards-Alaire, which is why I took him over Clyde Edwards-Alaire there. After that, George Kittle came off the board. Yeah, let's talk about Chris real quick for me. Talk about the tight end position. Talk about these top three tight ends about them coming off in standard leagues, even though it's not PPR, but still getting that advantage at that position. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing that we kind of have discussion on one of our other shows was about Travis Kelsey and is he a first round player in a sense. And when you start thinking about having an advantage at a position, you're kind of, you know, it's kind of start considering a tight end like Kelsey in the first round because it gives such a clear advantage over the rest of the board. You know, teams will struggle. We know tight end position is not a highly productive position throughout, but those top three guys usually are very productive. I'm just not big on necessarily reaching after Travis Kelsey. I think I love Kittle. I love Waller, but I think they're the guys that you shouldn't be taking in the first three rounds, even if it kind of gives you advantage over other guys, because I think the depth of that tight end, especially this year, is kind of there to kind of wait on these guys. So I do think that it's important to try to get an advantage in the position if you can, but I also wouldn't overdraft some of these guys. No, 100%. Uh, look, I will say this. You get yourself a top three. You get yourself the advantage. If you don't get a top three, my advice is that either you get Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson at a good value, meaning they fall into your lap, or I'd rather you pick out a couple of sleepers. For me, it's been Tyler Higby and Janu Smith pretty much this entire offseason as my two big sleeper tight ends that you can get in double-digit rounds. I'd rather wait and take that value than take Adam these- Trotman. 
Right, Adam Troutman, instead of taking these mid-level tight ends there, because what a lot of times happens is that once you get past the top five, all these guys pretty much become the same on a week-to-week basis anyway. You don't want to fall into that situation. Uh, after that, we had DeAndre Hopkins came off the board. Keenan Allen, our first quarterback, coming at the end of the second round, Patrick Mahomes. Chris, what's your take on Patrick Mahomes going the second round? I mean... I'm a big proponent of having a quarterback being an advantage. You talked about having positions and where you have an advantage. People kind of have that assumption that the quarterback is something you can kind of find or stream until you realize sometimes it's not, you know, the other guys got his quarterback dropping 30, 40 points a game. It's hard to match up with those guys. So Patrick Mahomes to me is one of those guys who can drop 30 or 40 a game and give you a clear advantage in a position. So I don't mind necessarily taking him as early as the leader did. But I would, I would be a proponent more so of trying to load up on some running backs first because I think the drop-off on running back versus quarterbacks is much more considerable. I mean, we have, we, both of us are big fans of Lamar Jackson, some other quarterbacks coming up on the board. So I think there's something that you necessarily reach on. But I'm not you know, anti-taking a quarterback in the first three rounds. I am. I 100% am. Especially this year, there's too much value at the quarterback. Especially when you're talking about standard leagues where you can get – a ton of quarterbacks late, and while they are, you know, yes, they score a lot of points, and the Patrick Mahomes, of course, is a great player to have on your fantasy team. I'm not trying to knock that part, but there's so many other players you can go with. There's guys that are in double-digit rounds or not even being drafted at all that should still project out to get a 50-50 consistency rate as far as finishing in the top 12 throughout the season. You get two of those, play them based on a matchup, you're probably going to be able to simulate the production of a top-end quarterback and get them much later and be able to stack up at the positions that you really need, which is running back and wide receiver because of injuries and disappointing performances and everything else. You have to make sure you have plenty of those positions because otherwise you can't make the championship. So, yeah, if Mahomes or one of those top four quarterbacks that I have, Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, if one of those guys falls to me in, say, the fourth, fifth, sixth-round territory, I'll start to think about it there. But I'm not going to cut myself short because it leads into my next point that I'm going to get into my third pick. I went running back three picks in a row. The reason I do that, especially in the standard league with the running back is very valuable, but there's a huge drop off when you start to get to those fourth, fifth round running backs from that tier one, tier two level to that tier three, tier four level. There's a huge drop off there. And I really think this year, more than any other year, you have to think about protecting yourself from that drop off. Now I tell MD nation this, all the time. Always, always, always draft the best player available, no matter what the position is in any given round. At the end of the day, you'll be okay, whether it's because you'll have trade assets to move or you'll just have guys who come up, show up and perform. And sometimes you don't need to have the most balanced team to quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end to have the best team. Sometimes you just need some of the best players in a few key positions, but always draft best player available. However, I will keep in the back of my mind that the running backs had this huge drop-off early in the draft, and there's still a lot of wide receivers that I like. So when I talked about I had took J.K. Dobbins with my third-round pick. As I couldn't believe he actually fell to me there. Very excited about having Ezekiel Elliott, DeAndre, Williams, and then, uh, DeAndre Swift, and then having J.K. Dobbins in my flex position. And I'm going to go into that, and there's still wide receivers for me to grab later on. Uh, before that came off, though, Justin Jefferson came off after Patrick Mahomes, Miles Sanders... Najee Harris falling in the third round. That's a pretty good value there in a standard mock draft on a 12-team league. 
The computer takes Michael Thomas. Thank you. You probably will be one taco in your home leagues. Most likely I would take a Michael Thomas there. His ADP just hasn't fallen quite yet to reflect where his value is going to be. Chris, I think you and I are on the same mind. Thomas's value somewhere in that eighth, ninth, tenth round territory in your fear in those leagues that have those IR spots. Is he still somebody you're taking a chance on? Oh, absolutely. I think depending on how your roster is kind of unfolding in your draft, you know, this guy might even go as high as a sixth or seventh round because I think he can be a league winner for you as the season progresses. He's going to be a guy, you know, it's going to be a pain in the butt to begin in the beginning of the season. But if you're loaded or you're really strong at the receiver position and you're able to kind of add up Michael Thomas to be able to be somebody that you can kind of have sitting on your bench waiting for that, you know, week six, week seven, week eight when he comes back, then you have a guy for the playoff stretch is going to be able to ride. We both think Michael Thomas is going to be highly productive, especially if James Winston's the quarterback. So, I mean, this guy gets paid a lot of money. He's got a lot to prove. So I'm excited about Michael Thomas. We both had him in our top five as a receiver before the injury news. So I think that's somebody you can't just you know forget about. One of the people in the industry that I trust a lot when it comes to dissecting injuries and their probability of returning actually healthy and back to their normal form is Stefania Bell. She actually talked about this, that Michael Thomas, she expects Michael Thomas, given his work ethic and given how the surgery went and everything and her expertise in this situation, she actually believes that not only return 100% healthy, but she actually does think that Michael Thomas will be able to get back to being Michael Thomas upon this, you know, getting back from this injury this season, as long as they don't rush him back, which, you know, the plans for now seems to be they're going to take their time. They're going to play it more cautiously. They're going to give him the time that he needs to recover. Here's how I look at it. Even if you think there's a chance that, Thomas isn't the same receiver ever again because it's a foot issue and he's an older, he's a turning older wide receiver. And we've seen that derail careers in the past, a la Demarius Thomas. Even if you think that could possibly be the case, when he comes back, he is by default the top targeted receiver of the New Orleans Saints. So for that reason alone, he becomes a great stash play. If you're, if you, like I said, if you wind up in the eighth, ninth, tenth round territory and you have the IR spot to stash him, you could pick up somebody else in the meantime but he's definitely worth it for your playoff run if that's going to be the case. So, yeah, I'm not going to cross Michael Thomas off my board, whether you think he is going to have a chance to be 100% healthy and back to be Michael Thomas upon his return, or even if you think he's going to be half of what Michael Thomas was. The target share is so there, given the circumstance of the Saints, that he still is a value worth taking a shot on. So I just wanted to talk about that there. That's when I didn't. I came back, took J.K. Dobbins. After that, Allen Robinson, that's a nice little pickup there in the third round. Allen Robinson has some nice value. Chris Carson, Terry McLaurin, David Montgomery all come off the board. Chris, I might not be a huge fan of his, but having this guy fall to you in the back end of the third round, I have to say, is quite impressive here. Clyde Edwards-Alaire going at the 310. Yeah, I'm a little bit giddy about it. We know our difference between how we you know, view Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but I think we both agree in the third round and a high-powered offense like the Chiefs with an upgraded offensive line that they have. This is great value, a guy who should be more involved in the passing game, definitely should be the prime back in the backfield for the Chiefs. And I'm excited about how my team's kind of you know materializing right now. Yeah, I like the way your team is going to. That's gonna getting Clyde Edwards alert in the back end of the third round there is really gonna put you in a, a pretty prime position, I'd have to say. Uh Julio Jones comes off the board, wide receiver, uh t- not wide team eleven going pretty hard at the wide receiver position. Julio Julio Jones is going to, he's one of those wild cards in my opinion. I think there's a safe floor to his game. You got Corey Davis. You know, I think that's the floor of what we saw out of Corey Davis last season. 
I think we've proven, we talked about this show, how Julio Jones has proven even last year, dealing with all the injuries, that when he's on the field, he's not done and still can perform at a very high level. Was on pace for over 1,500 yards last year and, and you know a, over 100 catches, even playing nine games, even playing banged up most of that stretch. Now, we were gonna, I was going to wait to talk about this tomorrow, but this came up now. So Julio Jones is dealing with some kind of injury right now. They are not disclosing it, which makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. All I want to say is that he wasn't going to practice the rest of this week, and we'll see the beginning of next week. I don't like that because, of course, when it comes to Julio and injuries, especially at this age, they tend to linger. At least it seems like they tend to linger. So I'll, I want to see what happens there. I think we'll get some clarification soon, but I do want to keep my eye on that situation, especially after that, Chris Godwin, Team 12 going all pass catchers, which is really, that's very interesting to do in a standard league. Travis Kelsey, A.J. Brown, Chris Godwin, and then Mike Evans going back-to-back Tampa Bay wide receivers. Josh Jacobs finally comes off the board at round four. By the way, that's the right round for a Josh Jacobs because you protect yourself against any kind of bottom-tier fallout that you might have from Kenyon Drake being involved to a degree that we're not 100% sure. We think he'll probably get the majority of the passing game because for whatever reason, they refuse to let Josh Jacobs have that role, even though he proved in college he was a good pass catcher. Let's talk about that real quick, Chris, because we won't get to go in that in the chance of the show. Talk about the idea of what players can do. You're projecting fantasy football-wise, the value of what you know they can do, and then having to run into that problem of you have to deal with the idiocy of a head coach yeah i mean i I talked about a little bit with joe mixon how frustrating it was to watch him come off the field knowing that he's one of the better pass catchers especially coming out into the draft i mean this we see this constantly happen we saw as one of the ones we were both very upset about was sonny michelle's usage in new england sonny michelle isn't a hammer back he's not nick chubb he's not trevor he's not henry but we watched him basically be utilized like that because that's the role quote unquote that josh mcdaniels has for him i'm getting a little tired of these coordinators having specific specialists in the backfield particularly, where I think if a guy has a great you know, skill set, a la Al Kamara, a la Christian McCaffrey, a la Aaron Jones, you want to see them be out there in all three, you know, all three downs and be utilized appropriately. I think that too often the people, you know, these coaches are getting stuck on a guy who's a glorified five eight guy who can get quick in and out of his snaps. Like J.B. McKissick, awesome. You have seven catches for four yards, but does that really help you move the ball? Does it really help you be an effective explosive team? So I think it's really important for running backs to get their touches and kind of opportunities, especially the home run hitters. I'm disappointed to watch coaches kind of waste a lot of these players. We saw it with Marlon Mack. We see it with Taylor. We've seen it with different guys where you kind of pigeonholed. And, you know, in this case, the same deal where, you know, a back who basically can do everything isn't being utilized. Hopefully, like people like Gibson this year will have a chance to shine more. What we watched last year, a guy who was playing receiver in college, still be taken off the field so Jaden McKissick can get that six-yard catch. Yeah, it's just Josh Jacobs is a better running back than what his fantasy value is going to have to be this year. Better running back than John Green will let him be. But the fourth round, again, he's still going to get the majority of the carries. He's still going to get the goal line work. That much we know. He'll still be, he'll probably still finish as a high-end RB2. He's been able to finish as a low-end RB1 every single year. I don't know if this is going to be that year. But he still has a floor to him. So I don't want people to get so down on him because... I feel like that's been happening a lot lately where the narrative, the hype on him is just to pound him basically that you're you're stupid for taking Josh Jacobs or he has no ceiling or blah, blah, blah. He's still going to be a solid RB2. And again, protect yourself against that drop-off. You're getting Josh Jacobs in the fourth round. You're doing that. And for that team, Team 11, I kind of like what they did there because you get Josh Jacobs has a safe floor because you, you have your elite wide receivers in Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Julio Jones. 
Chris, we finally get to you. You went four running backs in a row going with Daryl Henderson. Talk about that. Yeah, I man, I'm, I'm risking the fact that maybe I'm passing on one top of the one of the you know, upper-tier receivers. But for me to be four running backs strong in a standard league and have somebody like Henderson, who I just love, versus so that he kind of brings to the field and explosiveness, I have a guy that I basically feel that if somebody isn't to pan out in our first three rounds at running back, I'm definitely ensured that I have another option to go to. Um, you know, a lot of times the people assume that that running back that goes in the second and third round is going to be good because, you know, going into the draft that they usually are all based off the previous year. But a lot of times statistics show since 2018, a lot of these guys who are going from second round to the sixth round actually are considered a bust or underproduced what you expect them to do versus the receivers versus some even the quarterbacks because these guys have such a you – know, opportunity to be hurt or sometimes you assume things about based on the previous year that don't necessarily manifest themselves so you're taking a kind of a risk by going strong running back so you want to kind of make sure you have insurance and for me henderson's awesome insurance yeah uh, we have a chaz is actually uh commenting in on the show chris we haven't seen chaz in a while we'll be seeing him every saturday night once the season starts he'll be coming back on the show for our dfs and uh football betting for that show that's going to be on Saturday nights at 9.30 once week one starts coming in. This is where he said, this is where you would love to have the Gray's Almanac of sports from Back to the Future. Like, yeah, look, every fantasy analyst wishes they had a crystal ball because they would make us a genius. Every fantasy football player wishes they had a crystal ball. I, I like that comment there out of Chaz. After Daryl Henderson comes off, which I do like to pick, by the way, Robert Woods, Amari Cooper, that's a big one. I'm big on Robert Woods and Amari Cooper this year. Cooper, a lot of even though he's he's hurt right now and he hasn't been practicing yet, there's been a lot of positive reports from the strength and conditioning coaches of the Dallas Cowboys about Amari Cooper really progressing well, looking well, and they believe he's going to be 100% healthy, 100% himself when he's back and ready to go. So that's good news there. I don't need a guy like Amari Cooper to get a ton of reps, so I'm not worried about it from that aspect of it. In the meantime, yes, CeeDee Lamb gets to kind of gobble it up and do his thing. So does Michael Gallup, who's back. He missed the few, first few days of training camp there with, with an injury as well, but he's back and practicing. Amari Cooper will still be... I, th- I still think he's going to be the most targeted pass catcher of the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe CeeDee Lamb eclipses him in yards. Maybe he clips him in touchdowns. But Amari Cooper is going to be right there with him neck and neck. So that's a great value there in the fourth round. I've talked about this many times, even in standard leagues. I do have Robert Woods, the top 12 wide receiver. I'm big on him with the Matthew Stafford uh, combination. DJ Moore comes off after that. Carolina is such a, a weird enigma to me as far as what they're going to be able to do. Uh, is Sam Darnold an improvement over Teddy Bridgewater? Are we going to really see much of a difference from last year? Do we see DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson switch roles? Because we were all surprised that to some degree, Robert Anderson was just the straight-up possession guy, and DJ Moore was a down-the-field guy. That's going to be interesting to figure out, but a fourth round is fine there because he's been consistent in the fact that he's always finished as a wide receiver, too, so far in his career. Darren Waller coming off the board, the fourth-round pick. Nice pick there. And then we finally get back to me. I took C.D. Lamb. He was my top receiver on the board. Remember, I went three running backs to this point. C.D. Lamb in standard leagues is my number 10 wide receiver. So I'm taking a guy that I do have low-level wide receiver one expectations on. I'm getting him in the fourth round. Again, it goes back to illustrate that point that there are good wide receivers with high upside in those mid-rounds in these drafts, especially in the standard leagues, where there's not going to be as much of a premium on the wide receivers. That's why I think it's so important to get those running backs early on. After that, Kareem Hunt comes off the board. Kenny Galladay to Team 3. TJ Hawkinson coming off a little bit earlier than I would have anticipated him here 
in the fourth round, Odell Beckham. Let's talk about Odell Beckham a little bit because he's another ultimate wild card. Now, this is too high. There's no reason to take Odell Beckham here in the fourth round. It's been years since he's been good. It's been years since he's been healthy. We still have to see Baker actually be good with OBJ on the field at the same time. While I think it can't get any worse than last year, and I do think Baker figures something out in the Kevin Stefanski offense, especially towards the end of the year, OBJ is a guy that I'm looking more in that sixth, seventh, eighth round territory where he is an ultimate wild card. I do believe he still has the ceiling of a wide receiver one, but he can really tank your team if you're depending on him to be your wide receiver too. What do you think about OBJ, Chris? Yeah, I'm in the same boat you were. I think both him and Julio Jones have a similar uh, opportunity. You know, They could blow up. They could be true number receiver ones. But because of the injury history, especially the more recent injury history, you're kind of concerned about reaching in the first six rounds, in my opinion, or first five rounds, I should say. I think that you can start get looking at lottery tickets to layers like this after round six when you kind of have your core of your team build being built. But I think there was too many players on the board that you could still have value or need to kind of make sure you build around your team before you start taking shots on in the dark, in a sense, and hoping these guys are going to be something more than they might not be. Yeah, I agree with you there. They followed up with Adam Thielen, who I think is going to have a big downgrade or big regression in the touchdown department. And therefore, I think he could actually wind up being a fantasy bust for where he's being taken as a wide receiver to potentially. Josh Allen coming off the board in the fifth round. I talked about this before. If one of the elite quarterbacks falls you in that fifth round, Terry, that's when I start to think about it. So I do like the value there. Deontay Johnson coming off for team three. Travis Etienne, who I think could have... He's one of those rookie running backs who has the potential to be a league winner at the end of the year. But you get back to my pick. I could take Tyler Lockett as my wide receiver, too. I'm so I, what, Tyler Lockett, almost no matter what scoring format, has been my automatic fifth round pick, it seems like, in every draft that I have been in. He's still got 100 receptions, everybody. He still finishes the wide receiver nine, everybody. Look, I know it was wildly inconsistent. But let's take it from the context of the Seattle offense wound up being wildly inconsistent last year. It wasn't just Tyler Lockett. If it was just Tyler Lockett, that can understand why so many people are down on him and don't want to touch him and look at him as toxic in their drafts. But because it was DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson, that whole offense that took a dump in the second half of the season, I don't put that on Tyler Lockett. He was still more targeted than DK Metcalf was. He had more receptions than DK Metcalf did. I don't know that necessarily winds up being the case again this year. But I do know the targets get funneled to Metcalf. They get funneled to Lockett in this offense. I like the offensive coordinator change in Shane Waldron quite a bit to fit this scheme. And on top of it all, I expect them to be more consistent throughout this entire entire uh, year. And Tyler Lockett got a contract extension, which tells me he still very much plans on being one of the featured weapons in this offense. I'm big on Tyler Lockett. He's the type of guy that I love as a wide receiver, too, because he can win you any given week. You're not depending on him to be consistent. That's why I have C.D. Lamb there. Uh, after that, Kyler Murray came off the board. Cooper Cup, that's another great value there in the fifth round. Lamar Jackson, the team eight. We start to see the quarterback start to come off. Miles Gaskett, and then Chris takes his own quarterback, Dak Prescott, there in the fifth round. Yeah, with well, some of the guys who went in the fifth round, particularly at receiver, I think there's a gap in between the receiver until you get to kind of those top you know, five rounds until you start falling into the you know, later rounds where a lot of guys are going to kind of, on my board, are very similar or close to the same thing. Where I have Dak Prescott clearly as my number three quarterback going into this year. He was on an unprecedented pace at the beginning of the season last year, you know, carrying some teams to actually into contention in the first couple of weeks because of his ability to score. with 37 points, I think he was averaging the most. So this guy was, and he wasn't really producing touchdown-wise yet. 
So I'm excited about Dak Prescott. We're both excited about Dallas's offense in general, healthy offensive line, healthy Zeke, all the weapons that you have, Amari Cooper getting the surgery, so maybe look at his explosiveness back again. You give Dak Prescott all those weapons and the ability to basically, you know, pick his targets. I think I'm excited about what he can do this year. Yeah, absolutely. Then after that, after Dak Prescott comes off the board at your pick, you came back. Well, Chase Edmonds came off. Damian Harris came off. Melvin Gordon, Raheem Moster. And then we get back to you. You take your first tight end in Mark Andrews. Yeah, I was looking at kind of the guys unfolding, and I was hoping Chase Edmonds would fall to me. But when he didn't, I kind of looked at the rest of the board. And like I said, I think there's a gap at receiver loss, and there's a gap at tight end. There's some guys that I like definitely later on in the tight end positions I still might look at. But right now, I kind of have a guy I think that has to be in the argument as a top five tight end going into this year. Um, I think that, you know, Andrews, although you have different pass catchers have been added to the team, I think it actually helps him in a lot of ways where he can't be fixated on and focused on. And we know historically Greg Roman has always utilized his tight end position. So I think no matter who leads in the receiver position, we know Mark Andrews is going to be the true alpha in the in, and out there on the field. <laughs> Yeah, nothing to disagree with there. Mark Andrews is as consistent as they come. We know he'll be the touchdown guy. He's the only pass catcher of the Ravens I actually trust at this point. After that, T. Higgins coming off, Brandon Ayuk, Ronald Jones, that's too high. No Tampa Bay Buccaneer running back should be coming off in the sixth round. Everybody needs to cool it on the Ronald Jones hype train. It's the same reporting we got last year. Yes, he's an impressive runner. He's explosive. He does look more explosive than a Leonard Fournette. But Leonard Fournette's going to be involved. We still don't know if playoff Lenny is able to accrue him more touches at the beginning of the year than he had last year. You have Gino Bernard, a good chance he could wind up being the third down specialist. There's, you're taking a Tampa Bay running back on the hopes of upside, not to be a flex RB2 contributor, which is what he'd have to be in the sixth round pick. That's awfully too high. David Johnson, probably as boring of a low end RB2 as they come, but definitely is worth a pick there. I took Mike Davis. I was surprised that Mike Davis was available here in the sixth round. I was thinking about going for my third receiver, but I go with Mike Davis here instead. It's volume. There's a lot of red flags for me about a Mike Davis. I talk about this all the time. Journeyman players who then go on to other teams to become starters, typically speaking, don't end up having as successful seasons as people want them to have. But when it comes to the running back position, if you are in a situation where you are going to get a ton of volume and you're also paired up with a head coach who runs an offense that is definitely beneficial to the running back position, I like your overall value, especially like his floor. The other thing I like about Mike Davis being my RB4 in this entrance is I don't have to depend on him for his upside. And I'm going to talk about this all throughout probably the season. He's going to probably be a sell high for me starting in week one where I'm not going to want Mike Davis towards the end of the year. I do think there's a good, decent chance he flames out, especially with this being a 17-game season. But if you're able to take advantage of somebody who's hurting at the running back position, and he's sitting there being he has you know RB2 value week in and week out because of the volume, you're going to be able to make a good trade with somebody during the season. He's a great trade bait piece for me. So I have him as an RB4 that I could plug in, or as a trade piece later on when I can sell high on him, hopefully, before the second half of the year. After that, Russell Wilson came off the board. Dallas Goddard, James Robinson, Noah Fant started getting some of the later round tight ends. Zach Moss, Juju Smith-Schuster going all the way down in the seventh round. Everybody hates Juju Smith-Schuster. Aaron Rodgers coming off in the seventh round. Cortland Sutton. And it got back to me. And I shocked myself again, but this is I was seeing a drop-off here at the running back position here. Getting the seventh round, 
I was going to see it. I was seeing a cliff coming up. I take Javante Williams, kind of the antithesis of a Mike Davis, where I think Javante Williams has a chance to be a league winner in the second half of the season. We still have to see how the split's going to work out between Williams and Melvin Gordon. I think it's going to be close to 50-50 between those two, but we know Gordon has a history of getting injured, and because Javante Williams is a very talented young running back, he could wind up actually overtaking Melvin Gordon at some point or just being given the lead as they wake their way into the playoffs. So I'm taking a potential league winner here before the drop off the running back position really happens. And now I have five running backs that I feel really, really good about. Debo Samuel comes off the board. I'm going to resume the draft here for you. Debo Samuel comes off the board after that. DJ Chark, Leonard Fournette, again, too high for a Tampa Bay running back. Chase Claypool coming off in the seventh round. Chris goes back-to-back tight ends with Kyle Pitts here to explain why you wanted to do that. Well, I mean, I looked at the board, and I was shocked that Kyle Pitts fell this far. I know that there's a lot of hype, and you and I are both in agreement that you don't take Kyle Pitts too high, but I also think that he's going to be one of the higher-scoring tight ends and is definitely a mismatch. You look at what kind of lands offense. I'm not worried about, you know, Russell Gage. I'm not really worried about Davis necessarily stealing too many touches. I think this is going to be the Ridley and, and Pitts show, and we've seen, you know, Historically, Matt Ryan likes his tight ends. He also likes to throw them, you know, the mismatched guys. So I think this guy is going to be somebody who's going to be very effective. And I have insurance as the season progresses. I have you know, good tight ends on lockdown just in case Andrews doesn't unfold like I hope he does or has injury concerns like we've had in the past with him. And then I also get a guy who could be one of the breakout players of this year. Yeah, seventh-round pick is fine for Kyle Pitts. Like I said, the big thing for me when it comes to Kyle Pitts, make sure you're not overdrafting him, a.k.a. don't be taking Kyle Pitts in the fifth round because if he doesn't finish the top five tight end, you lost value. And while, yes, I love the talent, there's every reason in the world to expect a rookie tight end to not be in the top five of tight ends by the end of the year. So that's been our big harp. Seventh round, totally fine with a Kyle Pitts there. So I don't mind the pick at all. After that, Will Fuller, one of my bigger sleepers, of the year. Justin Herbert comes off the board. Canyon Drake, AJ Dillon, a little high for a, I know AJ Dillon has some value. He's a top end handcuff, but that's a little high for me there. And then we come back, Chris, you stipe me because this is who I wanted to go with in this round. Jamar Chase in the eighth round. Talk about that value, what his upside is. Yeah, this is another guy who's been getting a lot of offseason hype, but the value is there for me. I think this isn't a guy that you necessarily reach on, but we do know that he's, had, he's very familiar with playing with Joe Burrow. This guy's one of the more explosive players in the NFL and has the opportunity to really come out and to be a protector right off the bat. So when you look at the weapons they have in place between a Higgins and a Boyd and now you know Jamar Chase, they basically have a guy you can't double team who's been one of the more productive college receivers we've seen in years. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. Then we have Robbie Anderson, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Borey, Jarvis Landry. What do you think about that string of wide receivers while I make my pick? The one them, I think some of these guys are reaching, you know, Tyler Boyd and, and, and Landry are players that I do like their talent. I think they're better guys to have in PPR, though, because we haven't seen them be very effective in the red zone. And we don't really know where they're going to kind of fall in the food chain of, you know, as playmakers on their teams. Landry was kind of frustrating last year in a lot of ways, and Boyd's been very consistent, but they haven't had Jamar Chase before. So I think this is going to be really interesting to kind of see, you know, both these guys, will they be worth where the computer took them? Because I think it's a little bit of reach in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and I think the guy I got has the most value there, Antonio Brown. He is going to be a top receiver to 
in, in that receiver two territory for me. I think all three Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers are going to finish at least as wide receiver twos. I have Godwin and Evans finishing as wide receiver ones, actually in the top 12 with Antonio Brown finishing as a wide receiver 23. That's what I think is going to be able to happen there. I love being able to pair him late. We talked about Antonio Brown, I believe last week where he just has the best value because people are still have his ADP is still so low. You're able to get him an instance in the eighth round here, a guy who, performed as a top 24 wide receiver the second half of the season, out-targeted to Chris Godwin, hadn't played football in two years, and now comes back this season more involved than ever from start to finish. This is going to be a very high-scoring Tampa Bay offense. And taking Antonio Brown there, I'm good with him as my wide receiver three because in this league format, remember, you only have to play two receivers. I'm talking about him as a fill-in and a flex play here. I love the value that I just got there with him. Curtis Samuel came off the board. Jerry Judy, James Conner, Naeem Hines, Devontae Parker, Latavius Murray. Well, I, I do want to talk about Latavius Murray a little bit. Because of the situation of the wide receivers for the Saints and because of how they're going to have to utilize Alvin Kamara, I actually think Latavius Murray is going to get utilized a bit more too. I think he could be a very valuable. He's not just a handcuff. He could actually potentially be a flex play in my opinion. LaVisca Chenault, there's a lot of hype around him, exactly how, what his involvement in the offense is going to be. Is he ready to take that next step up? We'll see. There is some upside there. Ryan Tannehill comes off the board. Before I make my pick, we are going to have to hit a break right here. We'll come back on the other side with the rest of the draft and the mailbag segment. So everybody stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and we'll be back with the MD's Fantasy Football Show right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We are live on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and on social media at Show and on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribing to our YouTube channel. There will be available after this show on your favorite pod streaming app. So you can go ahead, go back and listen if you missed it. Uh, we are doing a standard mock draft. We talked about some news early on. We do have the mailbag segment at the end of today's show. So we made a few picks while we were in the break. Chris, We I, I, I made a blunder coming back. I meant to take Michael Carter. I accidentally took Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts is one of my few quarterbacks that I had left on my board that I still have as an expectation for top 10, assuming you know the Eagles don't wind up trading for Deshaun Watson. Hurts, one of my top three quarterbacks when it comes to rushing yards expected this season. So I like him in that ninth round. This guy I can still get and feel pretty confident being a top 10 guy throughout the season. However, I saw Michael Carter there after I took it. I was like, that was a mistake. I should have taken Michael Carter. That's where I should have went. But Chris, you wound up taking him with that pick. So you went Michael Carter and Devonta Smith. Talk about those picks there back to back in the ninth and 10th round. I like the upside there. Yeah, Michael Carter is definitely one of my top sleeper running backs going into this year. There's a lot of other hype about the other rookies coming in, but he's one of the rookies that I think is going to be on the field sooner than later. I think he's going to be very productive once he gets on the field. We talked about the upgrades and about the Jets offensive line on other shows. You know, they have Beckton, they have Tucker, they added Moses. Um, I think when you look at this team, this isn't your same old Jets team. I think offensively, we've seen a lot of success with the running back position um, with this kind of scheme and kind of system. And then you add the fact that you have playmakers on the outside, so you can't just key on the running game. I'm excited about Zach Wilson overall as a quarterback prospect, so I think the Jets are going to be doing some scoring some points, and I think McCarr's going to be a big beneficiary of that. And as for Devontae Smith, 
I think that you look kind of at the Eagle situation. He's a little bit banged up right now. You're you know, a little concerned. Will he be ready for the opening camp? You know, most people are saying yes, he should be fine. Um, he's definitely the number one receiver on the Eagles. They have people that basically shouldn't even be in the NFL, in my opinion, at the other positions other than Jalen Rieger. Um, so I think this is a guy who's definitely going to be, uh, you know, the prime target, util- you know, utilizing the Eagles passing game and also has familiarity with playing with Jalen Hurts. And if it winds up being Deshaun Watson as the quarterback for the, you know, the Eagles going into the season, I'll be even more excited. Yeah. I, look again, Devonta Smith, like, like I said, I am cautious on him. I have him as a wide receiver five, but there's the upside there because you are talking about the guy who should be the number one targeted pass catcher for the Philadelphia Eagles, no matter who the quarterback is. Uh, and as a rookie, we've seen what he can do in college. He does have great route running ability. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I do like that pick quite a bit. Of course, I like the Michael Carter pick. Hey, guys, as we go throughout the show, go ahead and comment. We'll get to him as we go at Belly Up MDFF show on social media. That goes for any show that we do. And we're going to get to your comments, especially in shows like this. I like to put it out there because we're talking about different strategies. People want to pick our brains, ask questions while we go through this mock draft. After that, uh, Joe Burrow came off the board in the 10th round. Irv Smith. I'm not big on Irv Smith this year. I don't know why so many people are. Minnesota Vikings last few years, even if you were to combine Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph's uh, production, you're still not going to get a ton of production. Outside of Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, I just don't believe there is a third pass catcher worthy in this offense. So Irv Smith's not one of those guys that are on my board here. Matt Ryan comes off. Marquise Brown. Then comes up to me. I go with Jalen Waddell. Love Jalen Wilde's upside. I'm a little bit worried because there are reports about he's still kind of limping around a little bit with that ankle issue. However, I still hear that he is flashing and making big-time plays in camp and is looking explosive, especially with Will Fuller, who still hasn't actually practiced yet. He's been dealing with a foot issue himself. He's suspended week one. We know he has a hard time staying healthy as it is. And then you have Devontae Parker. We still have yet to see if the chemistry between Devontae Parker and Tua Tagovailoa from last year has improved. I have Jalen Wall by the end of the season, maybe not on a game-to-game basis, but by the end of the season, being the most productive Dolphins wide receiver, he has the upside with his electric ability. So I like taking Jalen Waddle there as a guy that I have as upside. After that, Tariq Cohen comes off the board with Evan Ingram, Gus Edwards. We're talking about the 10th round here. Mike Williams, Matthew Stafford, Hunter Henry, Jamal Williams, another high-end handcuff who I think could be a flex play in certain situations. And then I got sniped by Team 4, who took my top sleeper tight end, Tyler Higby. So I came back. I took Janu Smith, make sure I got one of my sleeper tight ends there. I wanted to make sure of that. And I still, I don't know why Janu Smith is being drafted lower than Hunter Henry. It absolutely makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know why Janu Smith is outside the top 12 of tight ends. He is his floor to me is top 12. He is going to probably be the number one pass catcher of New England Patriots. I don't know why he went from a guy that people were excited about when they signed him to all of a sudden he's an afterthought because they're just chalking up this offense to not having enough passing production to go around. Jacoby Myers was a wide receiver too last year, guys. If there's a number one target on this team, he will be able to be a very productive fantasy player. And the fact is Janu Smith and that he's going to probably get utilized in the red zone. I think more than Hunter Henry as well. There's upside there with a Janu Smith. I don't know why he's being slept on the way that he is. So I'm big on him. JD McKissick goes after that. Marvin Jones, Philip Lindsay, Austin Hooper. And then Chris, you take one of the guys that I was looking at later here in Trey Sermon. Yeah. I'll be starting later on the draft. You have kind of choices where you want to continue to fill out your roster 
or do you want to you know go for some lottery tickets in a sense? And to me, Trey Sermon's one of those lottery tickets I'm willing to buy there. Um, he's a guy that I think eventually will be the back in San Francisco. I think that Ryan Hamoser will start the season. You'll see a little bit of committee, but we both agree that you know this is somebody that they definitely drafted in the mind that they want to utilize sooner than later. He kind of fits their system in a lot of ways. And I think Trey Sermon has a lot of upside, especially as you go into the playoff stretch. Ton of upside. Surprise he actually fell to you there in the 11th round. Uh, great pickup. Alexander Madison goes, Jalen Rager, and then you came back with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I mean, the receiver is getting a little bit drier here, but we talked about if, you know, on the better note of Carson Wentz to kick off the show, if he, he is able to come back in week one, two, or three, I'm still excited about T.Y. Hilton being productive. I think that he's one of the guys who that Carson Wentz will instantly fall in love with. We've seen Deshaun Jackson have a lot of success with Carson Wentz. T.Y. Wentz still has a similar skill set. You know, Wentz likes to push the ball down the field. He likes to be aggressive. And T.Y. has a chance of finally not having a Philip Rivers throwing the ball in the sense that he can actually be able to maybe push down the field like he used to. Rashad Penny goes, I don't know why. Rashad Penny is a waste of space. Nelson Aguilar, he also has some upside, potentially being the number one pass-catching wide receiver of New England Patriots. It's either going to be him or Jacoby Myers. Depends on what you believe with Cam Newton uh, being the starter as for all intents and purposes out of the New England Patriots so far with Bill Belichick saying he's going to be the week one guy. Rob Gronkowski, I talked about, I don't like the upside of the tight ends of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of how I think Antonio Brown is going to be utilized this season. James White goes, I came back with Adam Troutman. I like in this situation, I like having two sleeper tight ends that you feel good about that you can kind of mix and match. If you don't have one of the top guys, Adam Troutman has a chance to be the top pass catcher out of default with Michael Thomas gone, especially for at least the first six weeks. And even then he was somebody we liked as a sleeper, even with Michael Thomas on the field because he could be one of the top pass catchers of this team. We know James Winston likes to get the ball to the tight ends in the red zone, especially. So I'm expecting good things out of Adam Troutman this season. And I like that I was able to pair him up with a Janu Smith, to be able to rotate there. Cole Beasley comes off. James Crowder, Henry Ruggs, Cole Kmet. Then we see John Brown, who I think has the potential to be number one receiver for the Raiders. Although I do hear a lot of good things about Edwards finally this year. We'll see if they actually utilize him, though. Last year, we heard a lot of good things. He actually started, and they never even bothered to throw it his way. So we'll see how that breaks down. But we know Gruden likes his veteran guys. And if John Brown's on the field, I do have him projected to be the number one wide receiver on a game-to-game -game basis. Sterling Shepard, somebody who I think is getting slept on quite a bit because, again, you have Kenny Galladay, not a huge target monster to begin with, already dealing with a hamstring issue. When Shepard's out there on the field as a slot receiver, he's been Daniel Jones' favorite target so far in his career. I just think he has some nice value as a wide receiver four or five on your team that you could possibly play in the flex or if you're in a pinch in injuries or bye weeks. So I like him there in that 13th round pick. Marlon Mack comes off the board. Darius Slayton, well, another guy I think people are sleeping on. Darius Slayton's just... We saw Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay coexist, correct? Am I wrong about that? So I don't know why Darius Slayton suddenly is never going to get the ball thrown his way ever because Kenny Galladay is there. Will he be a boomer bust product? Yes, 100%. But he's still going to have those boom weeks for you as a deep down the field threat. Came back to me. I got Trevor Lawrence. I was very excited about this. So I got two guys who I have in the top 10 that I drafted in the ninth and a 13th rounds. Hurts, I have his QB7. Trevor Lawrence, I have as my QB9. Talking about this before, again, he has the mobility, so I, ha I think he has a rushing floor that does go with his game. 
on top of with Daryl Bevel, who runs more three receiver sets than the league average does. He has good weapons. I love that he has Travis Etienne to check the ball down to. I love that he has DJ Chark and Marvin Jones. And if LaVisca Chenault does become anything, he actually has good weapons to go to. Plus, you add in the fact that it's a bad Jacksonville Jaguar defense. So I believe Trevor Lawrence is in a position kind of similar to a Justin Herbert and a Joe Burrow last year who were QB9s when they were playing as pure volume as upside for fantasy football purposes. Alan Lazard then comes off. That second receiver, talk about that a little bit, Chris. That second receiver for Green Bay is going to be an interesting factor. They trade for Randall Cobb. I think most people anticipate it to be him on a target basis. But if you can figure out who that second receiver is for Green Bay, what kind of value do you think you're looking at there? Yeah, I mean, we know that Aaron Rodgers could definitely feed two receivers. It's just really interesting to see who that guy is that kind of steps up. Al Lazard had some big weeks there last year before he got injured. So you do know that that position can be very productive. Um, I think that when you look at who's going to step up, it still kind of remains being seen. I think Alan Lazar will still be a guy that because of his fundamentals and his ability to run routes will be still somebody they like to utilize. Um, and I do think that Cobb is on the kind of downside of his career. So I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they all kind of are used. Um, but I do think that there is some upside that second receiver green, but just depending on who's going to be. Uh, Baker Mayfield came off. I don't really think I have much of a fantasy Put output for him too much this year. Denzel Mims, who's playing as a third string receiver at the moment, comes off the board. Tevin Coleman, he could be interesting as far as beginning of the season. We still have to see what the involvement's going to be between him and a Michael Carter. Are they going to give Tevin Coleman more of a shot at the beginning of the year because uh, he knows the offense? And then we get the back to Chris taking Elijah Moore. Love the upside, especially since you're a wide receiver needy team at the moment. Yeah, I'm right now I'm kind of looking to kind of fill up some receivers and take some flyers for guys who I think might be productive as the season progresses. I think Elijah Moore is clearly the more one of the more talented receivers on the Jets. I just think it's a matter of time before he kind of takes over that slot position and becomes the man for them. I kind of have to bide my time probably to be in the season, but Elijah Moore is something I, I definitely encourage people to kind of consider in his later rounds as a good wild card ticket. Yeah, and he's been getting a ton of hype. I don't know if there's anybody who's getting more hype than Elijah Moore throughout the training camp process, just making big play after big play after big play, according to pretty much anybody who's at these Jets practices. And now he's he's operating, especially since Denzel Mims has fallen down, he's been operating exclusively with the first team as of late. So it sounds like he's going to be one of the top three starting wide receivers Remember, you have Corey Davis, Jameson Crowder, I do believe, will be the starting slot receiver, especially since he took a pay cut. I think the question is, is it going to be Elijah Moore? Is it going to be Keelan Cole on the other side of it to start the year between those guys? But Moore, definitely somebody who might be involved early, but I do believe at the very least by the second half of the season is probably going to be the second most targeted pass catcher right there next to Corey Davis in this offense. And what should be, guys, an improved offense. Everyone needs to stop acting like this is the same Jets regime under Adam Gase where everybody just goes to die. They have good pieces, a good system, a good coaching. You're going to see vast improvements out of the Jets. I'm not saying they're going to be a top 10 offense or anything, but I think they'll be flirting around top 15. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm excited about the Jets going into this year. And then after that... Lost my spot here for a second. Christian Kirk comes off. That's another sleeper guy I like a lot, especially since he's going to get to play the slot this season. Uh, he could be a big field threat. I do like him here in this back-end territory. Kirk Cousins, Mecole Hardman. I don't think this is his year, but again, the 14th round, you're just taking shots on guys you think might have upside. Zach Ertz comes off the board. I don't think you need to draft Zach Ertz. That's a little crazy. And then Chris comes back with two attack of Lavoa. 
Yeah, for me, I wanted to have, make sure I have some insurance for Dak Prescott because he has had some injury concerns you know, over the last year or so. And I also think that two has a, a, a tremendous upside. I'm excited about him. You know, we've talked about in other shows where I think that he's gotten a bad rap in a lot of ways for his production last year as he's been suddenly not, you know, that good. People were tanking for Tua for a reason. This guy can ball. He's come off major hip surgery two years ago. He's going to be fully healthy, fully recovered. He's got a plethora of weapons around him. And I think that two is going to kind of ball out. Now, I will say there were some other guys on the board I considered because I think depending on how my team was kind of made up right at that point, I would have gone quarterback differently. Um, there was people like Josh Fields, where I think I think Fields, not Josh Fields, Justin Fields, where I think Justin Fields is somebody that you might want to have on your team. If you have a quarterback, such as a Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that, and has a late buy in the season, it's probably might be smart to add a Fields because not only can he be somebody to kind of play during the buy, he's also somebody that maybe becomes trade bait if he gets starting sooner, sooner than later. So there's some guys out there that I still had on the board that I liked. But for me, because I have Dak Prescott, I want to make sure I have a healthy quarterback back and I'm up right at the beginning, and I went to it there. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Justin Fields. He is a tremendous value if you have a quarterback that you're already secure in because you know he could just be a back-end league winner for you at the end. After that, Gerald Everett, one of my deep, deep sleeper tight ends this year. If he can take that starting job for Seattle, that could be an interesting situation because the tight end position is the only other pass catcher that does seem to get involved in that Seattle offense. is not named DK Metcalf or Lockett, but you haven't had a guy who's been able to stay healthy and able to stabilize that position. Everett has a chance to do that, so I like him there. Carlos Hyde came off the board. Then we start getting the defenses and kickers. Washington's defense came off. Pittsburgh's defense came off. And they came up to my pick, and I took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my third best defense on the year. And we're in, I want to put this point this out. We're in the 14th round. This is something that I just like to do. If you play in leagues with defenses and kickers, I like to go around earlier than what the consensus normally is for those positions just to get elite guys at that position. Yes, it's a crapshoot, but if you can get an elite defense, an elite kicker, you can still take your shot some on a sleeper that you have in that last round. That's just something I like to do to try to make sure I get the most elite guys at all the positions that I possibly can. The Buccaneers defense, there's nothing not to like, especially with Todd Bowles. As much as they blitz, there's going to be sacks. There's going to be turnovers to be had. They brought everybody back. Shaq Barrett's there. Devin White's going to take another year up. The defensive line's all intact. A lot there to like about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense this year. After that, Darnell Mooney, a common deep sleeper wide receiver. Uh, going there next, San Francisco's defense came off the board. Paris Campbell, the Rams defense, also another good one, although I think they take a little bit of a step back not having Brandon Staley this year. GMI Bernard, Young Hoku, one of the better kickers out there. Daniel Jones, Harrison Buckner, and then it got to me. I was surprised. I was going to go kicker here anyway, but I was surprised Justin Tucker, my number one kicker, was available to me, especially since there started being some kickers coming off the board. He's just as reliable as they come, can boot it from anywhere on the field. The Ravens are going to be a high-scoring offense again this year. So I'm excited to get Tucker there as my kicker, and then I don't have to worry about kicker until the bye week as a result of that because I'm not going to be streaming it there. Kenneth Gainwell, Sony Michelle, Greg Zerlin, the Buffalo Bills defense, and then, Chris, you, can't, you took the Baltimore Ravens defense. Yeah, this is one of those defenses that year in, year out, I want to try to add with my team because they always seem to be able to create turnovers. They score touchdowns when they do. This is one of those defenses that, you know, isn't the elite defenses as it used to be, but because of the turnovers and production touchdown-wise, it's one of those defenses you want to kind of get your hands on in fantasy goal because they can actually help win you a week here or there. And then what happened with your next picks? Oh, with my next picks, I kind of went – I had to go – fill my roster out. So I wanted the kicker. I went with Matt Prater. 
I think Matt Prater is going to be a tremendous um, add to the Arizona Cardinals this year. I also think he's going to be one of the higher scoring kickers overall. He's got a big leg. He's going to be kicking in, in a warm place. But add to the fact that we've seen the last couple of years, the Arizona Cardinals have really struggled to score when they get in the red zone. And part of that, I think, is because Kyler Murray short. But we will see that this year they continue to move the ball. They get into that range pretty consistently. And they're able to get between the 20 to 20s very, you know, very quickly. So a team that has kind of a no-huddle, fast-paced offense and able to kind of move between the 20s is you know, prime, you know, prime place for a kicker. I'm excited about Matt Prater's upside this year. Yeah, it, it definitely. They signed him a good contract. That's a, that's a team we know that kicks a lot of field goals. We know Prater can boom it from pretty much anywhere. He has some inconsistencies from time to time, but he's going to have, I think, plenty of opportunity there. I'm trying to make my last pick going with the most upside here that I can possibly find in the 16th round. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take a shot on Edwards from the Raiders just on the off chance. He fits the prototypical bill of a prototype wide receiver. John Brown does get hurt quite often. I don't think Henry Ruggs is ever going to be that guy. So there is a chance in my mind that Edwards could wind up being a sleeper wide receiver with some upside this year. And again, it's the 16th round. I like to either I like to take as much upside as possible to my deepest shot that I possibly can in that kind of situation because it's always a guy that you can kind of churn out and go with the waivers anyway. You're going to be picking up guys throughout the season. So you see what you got early on. If you got nothing, then you go to the waivers. That wraps up our draft, our first official mock draft of the season, Standard League. Chris, give me your thoughts on uh, our teams, and I'll, then I'll give you mine. Yeah, I mean, I think that we both have very complete teams. We both kind of had similar ideas that we wanted to have our core that we kind of built around and then be able to have some guys that maybe have upside as the season progresses. I love what you did with your tight end position. You have a Troutman. It's a guy kind of a sleeper and news, you know, basically a sleeper for no reason. We're not sure why people are kind of sleeping on him. But we've seen Aaron Hernandez have a success in playing that Janu Smith role. I expect it's going to be very similar in, you know, in the Josh McDaniels offense. We know Cam likes tight ends. We know Matt Jones with throw the tight ends, so I'm not really understanding why he's not kind of falling. But having a Janu Smith with such upside and the ability to be able to be a big play guy and then kind of complimenting with a Troutman who, even if he doesn't get involved as much as he wanted in his passing game, as you kind of stated before, Winston typically does make sure his tight ends are utilized in the red zone. So you have a guy who has a great floor, I think, that depending on week week, where you can kind of want to play. Do you go the upside tight end? Do you go the safer guy who gets you the touchdown? You have options. I think you did some similar things in the backfield as well, where you have guys like Davis, who you're kind of looking at the beginning of the season as, you know, I can kind of ride them as my RB2, RB3. But then as the season progresses, if they start wearing down or something happens, or they get traded or something, or a big move, you have another guy who you're looking at as Vontae Williams, who you can kind of ride out. And basically, as he's getting hot, you can kind of phase the other guy out and have a roster spot yeah, I, I'm pretty confident with my team there, especially, again, this is a standard league. So if you have running backs and you're going to be strong at the running back position, you're probably going to be pretty strong with the team in general. So I'm pretty happy with what we have. I think both of us are, are coming in the sense of we don't necessarily have that elite wide receiver one on our team, but we have enough wide receiver upside because, again, the wide receivers you could just get later on in these drafts. Very happy with the completeness of my team. I look at your team and see, you know, you have the running back, of course, lockdown with four studs right off the bat. All should be, you know, if things go as expected, should all be at least within the RB2 range. Two guys who should be RB1s for you. Dak Prescott, who has top three potential this season, especially will be a, a quarterback one. 
Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, you get the, you know, a top five tight end, in my opinion, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, who has as much upside as anybody. And you drafted him in a round that is not, you don't, you're not expecting him to give you his ceiling necessarily. So if he does just do his thing of what he can be in this offense, he should be pretty good there. You're a little weak at wide receiver, but you take your shots at a compliment. But again, in this standard league format, you only have to play two. So Jamar Chase would be your wide receiver one. I think he, I have him ranked as a wide receiver three. So that's where it's going to be kind of get difficult, but he does have upside. Devonta Smith, kind of same deal, have him a little bit lower, but he does have some upside. You're hoping Carson Wentz comes back sooner rather than later. T.Y. Hilton can be a big play guy, but basically you're going to be taking your big play shots at the wide receiver position, Elijah Moore, and compliment around that your strong, strong case of running backs. I love Michael Carter in the ninth round and strong quarterback play with strong tight end play. So, and wide receivers, the other thing about them that you have to keep in mind, waivers during the season, wide receivers are a dime a dozen. You're going to find a good wide receiver on the waiver wire at some point during the season. Uh, as well. So it's one of those positions, even more so than running back that I believe you can find as the season wears on. Again, remember, you don't win your leagues at the drafts, but you can lose them. Definitely feel good about both of us being in prime position to make moves when we need to, uh, as this season would wear on if this mock draft played out this way. All right. So that does it for the mock draft for today. Guys, it's now time for the mail's here. Yeah, don't worry. We didn't forget about the mailbag questions. And remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag, all you got to do is hit us up at social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, and we will get to your questions. We'll select a few of our favorites to put on the show. And even if you don't wind up on there, we're going to make sure we answer every single question because we are here to help you guys out because this is prime time fantasy football season. It's like Christmas every single day in the month of August. I'm so excited. But our first question today comes from Don in Redraft. Would you take Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan, or Kirk Cousins? I feel like I kind of answered this with my mock draft here. I'll let you go first, Chris. Who would you taking here? Yeah, I think in a, in a redraft, I'm probably going Trevor Lawrence there. You know, I, I kind of on the other shows have talked about Trevor Lawrence maybe not having the same upside some people see with the running ability because he wasn't actually the runner a lot of people thought he was in college. Um, but overall, he still has the best floor and the most production, and he plays for a team that has a terrible defense. I like Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan is a safe, you know, a safe player. But I'd go for the upside if I'm drafting. Yeah, I, obviously, I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence. I took him over those two in this draft. Again, he's my QB nine on the year. Matt Ryan, except for a couple of games at the end of last year, was completely terrible without Julio Jones. Now, yes, he'll be prepping to not have Julio for this season, but that definitely hurts him quite a bit. And then Kirk Cousins. My big thing about why I have Jefferson a couple spots lower than everybody else. They have a wide receiver seven. I, ha I actually just moved them up actually to wide receiver nine, but Adam Thielen taking a dip off. I don't expect that Minnesota Divas to be as bad, especially Anthony Barr coming back. It's still Mike Zimmer. So I think that team's going to go back to what they were for the past couple of years before last year and have a little bit less passing attempts, a little less volume by the end of the season. So Kirk Cousins, somebody to me, I have him as a mid-level QB2 this year, taking a little bit of a step down from where he was last year. I don't expect it to be as much volume in that pass game. And besides all that, nine or one of them have the rushing floor that Trevor Lawrence provides you. So I just think there's a lot more floor-to-ceiling ratio there with a Trevor Lawrence this season. Nick, he asked us in a keeper league, trying to decide between Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown. What do you think, Chris? That's a tough one, right? Um, it is. I would probably, that's a really tough one. For me, I'm probably going to ride on A.J. Brown just because he's, this man's shown that even with limited volume, he's going to be high productive. 
Jefferson kind of needs to be involved in the passing game. We saw last year that he was kind of all over the place in his production. Some weeks he was really productive. Other weeks he was nearly involved in the offense. So if the Vikings are up big. You know, top, you know, Kirk Cousins is kind of ceiling. The Vikings are going to look to run the ball. They're going to try to make sure that they can kind of maintain the clock and probably protect that defense in a lot of ways. Well, I think the other side, on the other side, you're just going to see, you know, a guy who's basically A.J. Brown has Julio taking away attention from him, and you give A.J. Brown one-on-one coverage, I think he can he have two or three catches and still score two touchdowns for you. So I'm excited about A.J. Brown moving forward. Yeah, I am too. I have both of these guys at wide receiver one, so I want to be clear. So we're nitpicking here. But A.J. Brown, I do have ahead of Justin Jefferson. Again, I think the Tennessee Titans are going to throw the ball a little bit more this season. I don't – and I'm going to put it this tier too. I have a hard time believing Justin Jefferson is going to repeat and or top what he did last year because it was so good. And I argue this. I don't know if we've seen – the breakout season out of A.J. Brown yet. And I think it's going to come this year, especially if he's 100% healthy with those knees, which all reports that he is. Um, and we know, you know, Julio, there's a good chance Julio misses a few games. And A.J. Brown might be the only guy left out there, quite frankly. There's no Janu Smith. So uh, I really like the position that he is in. I do have A.J. Brown a little bit of a head. Both these guys are wide receiver one. So that's why I would lean towards A.J. Brown myself. I talked about the Minnesota Viking volume offense. I think just... Taking taking a little bit of a tick down and passing a little bit. Go ahead. I was also going to say that I think if this is a keeper league that you're in, you know, I'm looking at a, a situation of Vikings where we don't know if Kirk Cousins is going to be starting quarterback next year. There's no doubt Ryan Tanhill will still be the guy behind, you know, taking snaps for the Tennessee next year. So I think that also has to kind of factor into your, your equation. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Next question, Mitch. Standard scoring, would you take Zeke, Chubb, or Taylor? So I think that's a really, really tough one because I love Zeke and I love Chubb. But I would probably go Zeke because I just think Zeke has a safer floor. Well, if they're take away the running game, you still have a guy who can be involved in the passing game. While if Cleveland falls behind, you're not really sure how Nick Chubb's going to be out in the field. It could be Kareem Hunt for the rest of the, rest of the half, rest of the quarter, whatever it is. So for me, I'm going Zeke just because I think that he's a safer pick in a sense. He's going to be utilized with Dallas no matter what versus a guy who I love, but you also have talked about before guys kind of getting pigeonholed for what the roles are. Nick Chubb seems to be the running back, not the pass catcher in that Cleveland backfield. Yeah. I mean, you just saw it in this mock draft. I took Zeke over Nick Chubb in this instance. Again, that's the defining uh, trait as to why I did that because he's, he is going to be involved in the passing game. He has a little bit more of a floor as a result of that. I do think Dallas's offense will be more high scoring in Cleveland at the end of the year too. So I think that's a little bit of a factor, but as long as Kareem Hunt is there, I mean, I don't know if Nick Chubb will ever be involved in the passing game, but as long as Kareem Hunt's there, I know he won't. So that's where I would go with Ezekiel Elliott, too. Uh, last question, John. Miles Sanders or David Montgomery in PPR redraft? Ooh. So we were kind of talking off the air yesterday about Miles Sanders and where do we kind of really have him ranked. You know, both of us aren't huge fans of him as a running back in general, but we do think that he can be effective in the passing game and running game. Eagles, though, seem to have this wish to not utilize him as properly as they should, as some other teams do. So if, if Miles Sanders gets kind of pigeonholed into that Marlon Mack role, you do have concerns whether he's involved in the passing game. They use the Kenneth kind of well or something like that. David Montgomery, to me, is clearly the back in the, in Chicago. Uh, I have definitely concerns because I'm not a Nagy fan, so it's taking, taking back over play calling. But we both agree that Justin Fields will, will be inevitably the quarterback eventually in Chicago. I think once that happens, Montgomery will have an outstanding floor, be very productive. And he was utilized in the passing game last year. Tariq Cohen still is kind of, you know, recovering in a lot of ways. Demi Williams is a really good back, but you're not really sure to realize what his role will be. What well, David Montgomery has, you know, 
the pedigree and has shown last year that he can be productive both in the running and passing. So I'm kind of torn on this myself. Technically speaking, I have Miles Sanders ranked ahead of David Montgomery. So my answer would have to be Miles Sanders. However, if you want to ask me, who do I trust to play 17 games more? My answer would be David Montgomery. Who do I trust to have more carries at the end of the season? My answer would be David Montgomery. The key for me in this point would be when it comes to passing targets, because they signed Damian Williams, I highly question exactly how much David Montgomery will be involved in the passing game. And he should be. And he proved last year that he can be. But when Tariq Cohen was out there in the field with him at the same time last year, it was a 75-25 split as far as the targets go. And because Damian Williams is a pass catching back in his own right, if Cohen goes down again or isn't 100% healthy, there is somebody else that they could go to that knows the system, has familiarity with Matt Nagy, where last year they didn't have that. There was nobody really left to put there in, in any significance. So because of that, I know Matt Nagy keeps talking up Montgomery is getting 20 carries a game. We talked about how that's not actually going to happen in reality. I do. There, that is an emphasis, though. He's saying that he's going to be involved heavily, but I question how much he's going to be involved in the passing game. Because of that, I lean towards Miles Sanders because I, I know they have Boston Scott and Ken Gangwell and guys like that, but ultimately, this offense, the way it worked under Hertz last year, from what I understand what they're doing right now in training camp and how they're kind of building the offense around Hertz's mobility, they're going to pass a little bit more on first and second down instead of waiting till third down. And that's where Sanders actually racked up quite a few targets with Jalen Hurst, uh, Hurts last year. So I'm kind of banking on that. This is Sanders' last chance. And one thing I will say is that I do like running backs who have one year left to prove that they can be the guy and have one year on their contracts left. Because a lot of times what the teams will do is use them up and not care because if he gets hurt, you might have been moving on from him anyway. So I think there's a chance here we see Miles Sanders get heavily involved due to that fact. I have Sanders ahead, but I you can't go wrong either way. It's a preference pick here for my opinion. I think Sanders will just be a little bit more involved in the pass game, David Montgomery, especially for PPR purposes. That's going to do it for the show, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you got some good strategies, some good tidbits on where you can maybe expect to get guys in your standard scoring format leagues. Again, next week, next Thursday, we'll be back here at 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m. We're going to go over the half-point PPR mock draft. Might try to get a guess for that. We'll see exactly what happens. We're going to be back tomorrow, though, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on Friday. We're going over our best five, bus five, sleeper five quarterbacks kicking off that series that will continue through the month of August. We'll quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers over the next few weeks. So tomorrow's a quarterback position. Make sure you tune back in on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at 11 a.m. or at Belly Up MDFF Show or on YouTube. We'll be streaming to you guys pretty much everywhere, and we'll have it again for you available to you after the show's over on your favorite pod streaming app. So that's going to do it for Chris and myself. Hope you guys all enjoyed the show. We'll see you again tomorrow. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.